Good morning, everyone. Let's try it again. Good morning. Are you enjoying the heat and the blue sunshine today? Did you enjoy the hailstorm last night? Wasn't that exciting? So exciting. Hey, today we are looking at, um, I've given up. I don't even know what week we're on with Core 52. Does anyone in the room know, can identify what week we are on? What? 37. 30, 30, 37, as, as uh, our, our Irish tour guy would say, 30, 30, 30, 37, 37. We're on week 37 of uh, Core 52, where we're looking at 52 different topics that is important for Christians to know, people who follow and love Jesus, to know about these things and have an understanding of them and the way they, they impact our lives. Today, we're looking at eternal security. Uh, if you grew up in a Baptist church, you probably heard that that phrase often at oftentimes have you heard it once saved always say what 30 36 sorry 36 36 it sounds sounds it still sounds just as good in that irish accent 36 our core verse is one verse together because it encapsulates in so many ways what we're going to talk about today zara can you throw that up there for us let's just read this together my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, that is so good that we're going to do it twice. Can we do it again? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You guys can be seated. It is no secret if you know Tim Thompson that Tim Thompson loves to travel. And if you're here for the first time, I'm talking about myself. I'm Tim Thompson, and I love to travel. Generally, when I travel... I get an idea of where I want to go. I go, oh, that looks like fun. And I book my ticket. I pack my bag. I go. I land. I might make hotel arrangements before I get there. But oftentimes, I'll get there and just kind of figure out what I want to do, where I want to go, what I want to see. And, and I've done my research, and I'm going to get there, and I'm going to just have a blast. I have had great experiences with that, to be perfectly honest. But this past fall... Um, we took a group of folks with us to Ireland. I've been to Ireland five times now. The previous times have been sort of me figuring it out as I go along. This time we did something a little different. We actually got a tour guide, a local tour guide, who was also our driver on this beautiful charter bus. Amazing experience. And it was phenomenal. First of all, the most stressful thing about traveling for me is always getting from the airport to the hotel. Like the first place and the first thing I want to know is, will I have a place to sleep that night? Food, all the other things, uh, those are of much lesser concerns for me. I am amazing at finding food. But hotels, I want to know where I'm going to sleep. And so having a guide to get me from the airport to the hotel is a big deal for me. And our tour guide, his name is Patty, P-A-D-D-I, short for Patrick, Patrick, Patty, met us at the airport, pulled his bus right up to the front door, got out and loaded our luggage, our baggage onto the bus. Um, he said he was going to show up, and you know what? 
he showed up. That's always reassuring to start a trip out with the people being where you want them to be. On the trip, Patty was responsible for giving us instructions on, on where we were going, where we needed to be, and when we needed to be there. When we got to a location, Patty would always have some sort of insight on, here's where we're going to eat, or here's some options for you. I recommend this place, this pub's got this thing. Try this when you go there. We would get off the bus at some scenic overlooks to go, oh, you know, here's a, here's a good place. And he would he'd try to get the bus up to the best spot possible. We visited some amazing places. You've seen some of those photographs that I've shared. And we visited some rough places with some history of Ireland. But I never felt for a moment, even in those so-so places, that I was in any danger because Patty was with us. And I trusted Patty to lead us where we needed to go and lead us through even those sort of rough patches. Time and time again, my sister Pam, she goes, now, have you been here? Were you at this place? And I'm going to be honest with you. For the vast majority of time, I would say, no. I did not even know places like this existed in Ireland. I've been here five times, and on my own, I saw these things. But there are other places that I was completely blown away by. I would not have seen them without being with my guide. Here's a picture of Patty. You see him up there? He's the guy in the tie. None of the rest of us dressed that nice. Uh, he, great guy. I'll be honest with you. It took us a little bit of time to understand Patty. His Irish accent was so thick, you had to listen very closely to understand what he was saying. And sometimes he'd talk so fast, you didn't really know what he was saying, even when he said it clearly. So you'd go, uh, can, can, you, can you say that again, Patty? And he, he would repeat it very patiently. We'd ask, he'd explain it again. And as the days, as the hours turned into days, we sort of got into the rhythm of his accent and it became easier to understand him. In fact, he probably adjusted how he spoke to our untrained ears. He'd say things and I'd be in the back of the bus listening to him talk. And in my head, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be saying things like, how does he say 30? He says, 30, 30, 30, 30. I'm going to say 30. 30, and I'd, I'd hear myself in my head try to talk like Patty. It was a beautiful trip. It's a beautiful trip. I kept trying to impress on those who I was traveling with that, that, that traveling with an experienced guide, with a person who knows the landscape, who knows the places, who knows the route, is a completely different experience than just trying to figure it out as you go along. And you know what the amazing thing is? Just as he showed up at the airport, he told us that he would deliver us safely to the airport at the end of our trip. And you know where he delivered us safely at the end of our trip to? The airport. He kept his word. Now, I tell you this story because I think this is a beautiful illustration of what it's like to walk with Jesus, to put our trust in him. And I think that illustration helps us answer some questions that I know I've wrestled with, and perhaps you have too, on this issue of salvation and what it means to be saved. How do I know that I'm saved? I've asked that question of myself. Perhaps some of you have as well. When I accept Jesus in my heart, does it stick 
Or do I always have to sort of be working, working it? Is there something I can do that would cross the line and I would be out? And are there a bunch of things I need to do to stay in? What, what are the rules about salvation? And what if I do sin? Do I, do I lose it and have to start all over again? And maybe it's not you that you have questions or concerns about. It's a, it's a spouse or a child or a friend. And these are not small questions. These are big questions. So today we're going to address these questions by looking at Scripture. And I love, if you've been following along in the book, I love what Mark Moore says. He says, we wrestle with Scriptures, not with each other. Because at the end of the morning, you may walk out going, I completely disagree with Tim's interpretation on all of that. And you know what I'd say? That's fine. You can walk out of here completely disagreeing with me. But I want to share this morning what I have learned walking with Jesus and, and wrestling and working through some of these questions. So we're going to pray and we'll get started. Father, I know for me, this is a big issue. Growing up, this message of your grace was sort of always tempered by me being good enough to deserve your grace. Doing something to earn your grace. And to be honest, I still struggle and wrestle with that issue. But this morning as we open your word, remind us again how big and grand and great you are. You are bigger than my confusions. You are bigger than my anxious thoughts. Your grace and your love go so far beyond my understanding of grace and love as to almost be, almost to make my understanding completely insignificant. We, we are surrounded by the boundless, endless love that you have for us. Jesus, where, where we understand Scripture differently, I pray that you would just create a sweet spirit of unity here this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are two scenarios I want to share with you. One, I was talking to a friend a couple of weeks back, who was sharing about their child who was once claimed to be a Christian, but now has sort of wandered far from, let's just say they're not living like we would expect someone who is a Christian to live. And this parent's heart is heartbroken about this. They say, well, I want them to understand and know the same freedom and joy and peace and life that I'm experiencing, and they're just not they're just not experiencing anymore. And they've not denied Christ, but their lives certainly are not lived in such a way that anyone would know they are a Christian. Are they saved or are they not saved? Here's the second scenario. Having a conversation with a relative of mine who accepted Christ at a young age, was baptized, followed Jesus in obedience... And continues to this day to follow Jesus in obedience. They, they're faithful in, in, in giving and showing up and worshiping. 
They share their faith with others when asked. And yet when we were talking about heaven, they said, well, I hope I make it. And you will understand when I say this, I wanted to reach across the table and just slap some common sense into her head. I didn't because I don't slap common sense. Common sense cannot be slapped into anyone's head if you're thinking about trying that. It doesn't work that way. But I thought, oh, what a, what a horrible way to live where you love Jesus and you know Jesus loves you and yet you still live in this, well, I hope I make it in the sense that she's not certain that something might happen tomorrow that would make her just completely fall away and she won't, she won't get into heaven. Oh, my word. If you've ever thought, I hope I make it, I hope <laughs> this morning you get some clarity on this. Hope is a funny word. Words are funny. Uh, Nate Flynn and I were talking this past week about the word egregious. And something had happened and the word egregious was used. And, and so we had a question about, well, what does that word actually mean? And so, so here, here's what egregious means. Notice that there are two meanings here. The current way we use egregious is, is, is for something that is outstandingly bad or shockingly bad. For example, her rendition of the Star-Spangled Banner was egregious. I hope they never ask her to do that again. Outstandingly bad. But if you go back 300 years, the word egregious meant remarkably good. Now, how can two words mean something so, how can one word mean something so completely different? Words and their meanings are funny things, aren't they? The word hope is like that. When we use hope in sort of in the common context, we use it in this way. Um, it's, it's sort of a cross your fingers sort of thing. It's a knock on wood. It's a, I hope I get a pony for Christmas. Most of us are not getting a pony for Christmas. We say hope with this sort of reservation of doubt. It's unlikely to happen. I didn't really study for the test. I hope I pass Hmm, there's a strong presence of doubt in your hopefulness. But the way the Bible uses hope is, is completely different. In the Bible, hope conveys confidence, not doubt. Hope conveys confidence and expectancy and a promise that is not yet fulfilled. So Psalm 147, verse 11 says this, The Lord delights in those who fear him and who put their hope or their confidence, or their courage in his unfailing love. Romans chapter 15, verse 13 says it this way. May the God of hope. Now, does God sit around going, I hope it doesn't turn out that way? No. God knows what his intentions and his plans are, and he lives in the awareness and complete expectation that what God purposes, God will accomplish. So the God of hope, the God of certainty, the God of courage and confidence fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with what? Hope, courage, confidence, joyful expectancy that God will fulfill exactly what God said he was going to fulfill in the power and by the power of the Holy Spirit. If we are believers, we have a confident and biblically expectant hope 
that's built not on our goodness, but on Jesus and his righteousness. The old song, my hope is built on nothing less but Jesus and his blood and righteousness. And that hope, the scriptures say, is what saves us. We use this word save. What does save mean? Am I saved? How do I get saved? Well, first of all, I think there's sort of a, we intuitively know that there is a difference between someone who said a prayer or repeated a prayer at the end of a service and maybe even got wet in a baptistry and someone whose life, their demeanor, their voice, their actions, their words, their attitudes, all align with God and his purposes and his heart. There's, there's more than that moment, in other words. Someone who is following Jesus is living out our idea of what being saved means. And they're experiencing in this, this living it out, this, this life that bears fruit with their actions and their thoughts and their words. Titus was a, a Greek pagan. And Titus heard Paul preach. And Titus was, was arrested by what Paul was preaching about. He was converted from his pagan ways to Christ. And in the book of Titus, chapter 3, he describes what this looks like for him. It's dramatically similar to how we would describe it today. Let's look at Titus chapter 3. At one time we, he's using sort of the plural here, we too were foolish, we were disobedient, we were deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. What a horrible life that was. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. He rescued us. He delivered us from that. And notice this. In fact, if you've got your Bibles, you might want to open here to Titus and underline this right here. He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done. Not because we did really good on Tuesday and God was so impressed by how well we did. Look, we got up early. We read our Bible we had coffee with a friend and I prayed with them. Um, afterwards, I didn't cuss a single time that day. It was, a, oh, that was, a, Jesus, you must be really impressed with me. And God says, no, 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 no. You aren't saved because of the righteous things you've done, but because of God's mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal. Rebirth and renewal. If you've got your Bibles open, circle those two words right there. Rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that having been now justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope, there's that word again, the confidence of eternal life. Now, let's go back to this idea of saved. So remember, one of the first things you need to know if you're traveling is that traveling is not just the experience of pushing pay on your online airline ticket. All you've done there is bought a ticket. 
Traveling begins when you board the plane. And you leave what you know and you go to another place. You leave from A and you are moving in the direction of B. That is, that is traveling. And can I just submit for your consideration that salvation is more than you praying a prayer or even as much as we, we honor and teach the Christian is baptized, it's more than that moment as well. Being saved means we have been rescued. We've been saved. I mean, saved means saved from something. We've been rescued from the ramifications of our sinful life, being angry and hating and, and, the, and the destruction that, that brings on, on our heart and our health the sin that's encompassed and we lived in brings a toll and a weight and the scriptures say an eternal punishment on us. And when we are redeemed by Jesus, we are delivered, we are saved from the ramifications of all of that and we are brought into a new life through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That new life is a relationship that is empowered by God's Holy Spirit that he promises us. We, we use that term of like, like um, uh, birth and life. to We use the term born again to describe that process. It comes from 1 John 5, 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And we use that even as our sort of, sort of our confession of faith. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? And, and saying yes to that implies that, yes, I recognize that my old life was going to kill me forever. And walking into a new life is the promise of life forever. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 makes it very clear, again, as Titus said, that we don't we didn't achieve this. We didn't gain this. We didn't earn this by our own righteousness. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, it is by grace. It is by grace that you have been saved. Through faith. And faith not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not works, not your works. So that no one can boast and say, well, you know what? I did more works. I showed up at the, at the Hope Relay. I donated money. I've got my change thing. God must be really impressed with me. If anyone deserves salvation, I do. Because look at all the stuff that I do. I do good stuff. I'm a good person. And God says, that's not how it's determined. It is determined by his mercy. It is a gift of God. No one can boast. In fact, your best day, as we said last week, your best day or your worst day do not qualify or disqualify you from God and his salvation. It is a gift of God. So you say, well, if I can't earn it, then can I lose it? And to answer that, we look at a few wonderful promises God makes. Let's go back to our core verse. Can you put that up, Zara, again? John chapter 10 says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life. Read with me this. And they will never perish, 
and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Let's just read that last section. That's amazing. No one will snatch them out of my hand. I saw this video the other day on YouTube, and it was a grainy photo. I think it happened somewhere in another, it wasn't Bedford, Indiana. I know that. It's maybe someplace in another part of the world. And the, it was footage at a convenience store, and the mother and the child had walked into the convenience store, and again, black and white grainy. And while they're standing there, um, someone reaches in and snatches the little girl out the door. The mother's sitting there. She's un unaware of this at first, but someone beside her out of camera shot sees it. And you see them run into camera shot and out the door. The mother notices immediately what has happened. And she's going, oh, and she runs out. Can you imagine how panicked they, they must have felt in that moment? And we are too, as we watch the video. And, but about three or four seconds later, we see them come back in. Oh, I don't know what happened outside view of that camera, but that child that was snatched was brought back. Here's what God promises us, that we will not be snatched. We will not be ripped out from his hands. He will not lose us in any sense. I love that. I think about Patty, Patty's commitment to look out for us and keep us safe on that journey. He picked us up and he promised us that he would get us back to the airport. And, and he did. We did not get lost. He did not lose us. John 3.16 says that when we trust in Jesus, we have this promise of everlasting life. And how assured are we of this everlasting life? Well, John says it this way. In John chapter 5, verse 24, he says, most assured. In fact, he says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly. That's some confidence in it. I think we can be as confident as Paul who wrote this in Romans. In Romans chapter 8, verses 37 and 39, he says, I am, read this with me, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can I get an amen on that? I will never drive away or lose, Jesus says in John chapter 6. I will never drive away or lose those who the Father entrusts to me, who the Father gives into my keeping. Amen, amen, amen. And that's where I would love to close out the sermon. And we would come and sing a song about God's amazing love. And we would all go home feeling wonderful. I would hope. But here's the deal. I'm committed to preaching the whole gospel here. I don't do it great, but I'm, I'm trying to get better at it, and I'm committed to being challenged myself from the scriptures that I find challenging. And here's what I want to tell us. Our eternal security should not make us complacent. Maybe you know someone who says, well... I got saved 20 years ago. I prayed the prayer. And have you been to church since then? No, you know, church is really not my thing. I worship God, you know, out in the, under the trees. I go, oh, oh, okay, okay. I don't meet a lot of people like that, but that's sort of, 
you hear that every once in a while or you see it demonstrated. And here's what I want to tell you. The confidence and the assurance that we have of our salvation should never make us complacent because no relationship succeeds if neglected. Jesus says, nothing can separate you from my love, but I've seen time and time again that I can separate myself from God's love. His love doesn't change for me, but in a sense, my love for him can change. Here's what this looks like. I was talking to someone earlier, talking about her and her brother. You know, when you grow up with someone, you, you can't imagine really life without them. A sibling, these are people that, that are eternally bonded to you in some way. And yet she was describing the relationship she has with her brother. And she goes, well, he lives out of state now. And in fact, I sent him a birthday card and it came back from the wrong address. And I called him and he goes, oh yeah, I moved. When did you move? Oh, a couple of months ago. And she's like, you never thought to tell me that you had moved? He goes, I, I don't know. I didn't think it really mattered. She's like, how does it happen that we who were so close now can be so removed from each other that we don't even really know where each other live. Maybe that's an extreme example. Maybe you have your own story very similar to that. But the truth is that relationships don't thrive when they're neglected. That's why Jesus says, remain in me. The same Jesus who said, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away, says this in John 15, verse 6. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers, and such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. And I don't, I'm not really sure what that says about their eternal security, but I know it definitely says a lot about their current utility to the message and the gospel and the purposes of Jesus here. They're useless. Jesus says, remain in me. The same Jesus who says in John 5, 24, says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. <gasps> we love that verse, don't we? We just read it earlier. But he also says in Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Relationship and remaining in that relationship with Jesus is so important. It is central to the idea of salvation and experiencing the confidence and the assurance and the expectant hope of this, of this life he promised is connected to our obedience to the will of the Father. Jesus makes that clear. We can't Escape that. Let's go back again to our core verse. Sorry, can you throw it up again? John chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Let's just say that part right there. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. We use this language of in and out, don't we? Are they... Are they in grace or are they out of grace? 
And that's one of the mistakes I think we make when we talk about the security we have in Christ. We talk about salvation as a sort of in or out thing. And I'm going to be perfectly honest. Most of the time when I'm talking about this, in the back of my mind, I have the picture of heaven or hell. And am I, if I'm in grace, then I have the assurance of heaven. I'm going to be in heaven. He's going to let me in heaven. If I don't, if I'm out of grace and I've done something to pull so far away that I'm no longer in, then when I get to the gates, <laughs> and again, I'm talking pop culture ideas about what this looks like, God's going to say, no, you can't come in, you're out. But this is where it's important to remember that we are not saved for heaven. And oftentimes, that's the gospel. Accept Jesus and go and be with him in heaven. Remember what Jesus says about the Sabbath? He says, the Sabbath <laughs> was made for you. Not you for the Sabbath. You are the central fixture of the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is given to bless you and to be a gift to you. Heaven is the same thing. Heaven is for us. We are not saved for heaven. We are saved, and this is a beautiful little distinction here. We are saved for and by God. We are saved for and by God. Revelation says that we are created for his pleasure. Heaven is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful promise. But we are saved for a relationship, not an address. This relationship God saves us is this picture that he gives us in the Garden of Eden. Remember this? Where God creates Adam and Eve, and his intention is to have this beautiful, amazing relationship and communication with them daily. Evenings, he would come down, and the scriptures say, give this picture of God walking in the cool of the evening and spending time with Adam and Eve. And that is what God seeks to restore to himself and to us, that connection. Heaven is a beautiful, is a beautiful thing. I love talking about it. Heaven. But the salvation experience is this, is this place where we, we are in a daily and personal relationship with him. Where we listen for his instruction and we learn, we learn his accent. And we begin to understand him. And we gain his heart. We begin to live with and, and think like and, and love like and even speak like Jesus. The scriptures call this bearing fruit. Bearing fruit is described in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 as this. The fruit of the Spirit, let's read it together, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Remember what Titus said? He said, ah, being saved looks like this. We used to respond in anger and now we exhibit self-control. We, 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 we respond gently now and with patience to those frustrating circumstances and people. We used to be all about what we could get. It was us first. And now 
as we're living out this new life that, that God is bringing about in our, in, in our lives, we're, we're looking for ways to share that with other people, sharing his goodness with others. Where we once hated and were hated, where we despised others and we're despised ourselves, look at this new relationship God has brought us into where we, we love each other and we show kindness to each other. This transformation happens bit by bit, day by day, as the Holy Spirit instructs us in this new way of living. It doesn't mean we're perfect. And this is the thing that I think I want my relative to know. I grew up in a culture, a religious culture, a church culture, where if you did all the right things, then you were saved. If you messed up, then you needed to go to the altar and pray through until you felt good about it again. And this pattern would repeat itself over and over again. And, and you would feel really good when you left church on Sunday night. But Monday at about 3 o'clock when you lied to your mom <laughs> or you had a wrong thought. And you're like, oh, no, I guess I need to get saved again. That's not what God offers to those who follow him. He says this. It's not about being perfect anymore. It doesn't mean you don't have doubts, anxious thoughts, or problems. It doesn't mean your hurts and your habits and your hang-ups simply disappear. It's, it's not about any of that stuff. It simply means that in this relationship, we continue to walk. And we walk daily. And in the process... The scripture says something happens, and I've experienced this myself. So here's what I'm describing to you is what I myself have learned about following and walking with Jesus. It, you, learn to, you learn to hear his voice, and you learn how to understand it. And if you have a question, you say, excuse me, could you repeat that? And Jesus says, well, of course I can. I'd be happy to repeat it for you. We experience eternal life. Right here in the moment, not as a far-off promise, but a right-now moment, we begin to experience what it means to have our lives renewed and our hope renewed and our peace and our joy renewed all the time. We live in a confidence now, not of, not of fear of messing up or getting it wrong or saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing or having the wrong thought, but we live in this confidence that says, yeah, I'm probably going to mess it up, but I'm not going to mess God's plan for my life up. I'm not going to mess God up by my screw up. God's love for me encompasses all of that. Parents, you know this. I am off script right now, Zara. I am so sorry. But parents, we know this instinctively. Your kid can be horrible. Horrible. How many of you guys have had horrible children? You all have. I know your kids. You've all had horrible children. And yet, would you... You love them to the end of the world and back, don't you? You love them to the end of the world and back, and their bad Tuesday afternoons, their terrible twos or their terrible twenties, it's the same. You love them, and God loves you, and he says, this is what this is about now. It's about this relationship of love. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they'll never perish. And no one, no one 
No one will snatch them out of my hand. Ah, what a beautiful promise. What a beautiful relationship we have there. And so it makes it so tragic when we move out of that and we move away from that and we find ourselves at a point where we're like, God now has to shout at me to be heard instead of that still small voice that, he, that I hear when he's walking right beside me. When you drift... It is not, I don't think it's your salvation that's at risk, but it's certainly the experience of salvation that you lose. It's that relationship that gets forfeited, that gets broken, that gets lost. And so you say, Tim, okay, so just, just answer the question. <laughs> can I lose my salvation or can I not? Am I in or am I out? Is my son or daughter in or out? Are they still saved? Am I still saved? Am I in? Am I in? Yes, you're in. You're in. If you're here this morning and you've got a heart to hear God, you have a heart to respond to God, you're in. Just, just go to sleep tonight knowing that you're in. You go, okay, well, I'm not really that concerned about me, but I am concerned about my son or my daughter. I'm concerned about my friend. And can I just, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, this is where I very humbly am going to offer some advice. Be very careful <laughs> about evaluating someone else's spiritual condition. You don't know their heart. You don't know their mind. God knows that. Scripture, in my experience, teaches me that those who are best at judging others are usually the worst at judging themselves. If we can't judge ourselves well, we should not be trying to judge anyone else. But the truth is that there are some who's, who seem to be living completely separate from God right now. And, and at one point in time, they didn't. And your heart breaks for that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage you to just, just think about it in this way. When someone says, yeah, I'm a Christian, but there's no evidence of that in their lives, then your response and my response is really this right here. I'm going to pray for them. And more importantly, I'm going to pray for someone to be in their life that can love them and share Jesus with them in a way that, that they can understand and experience and accept God's love like they've never, never have before. So that's the first scenario. Now, some of you may say, well, listen, here, Tim, here's, the deal. here's what we've always, I've always believed. If they walk away from God, then they really weren't ever saved before to start with. They, obviously, they weren't ever a Christian. I mean, they may have said the words, they may have prayed the prayer, but they weren't really a Christian. Okay, well, so how do you respond to them? The same way you respond to the one who thinks he is. You pray for them, you pray for someone to come into their life that can share Jesus with them, to love them in every way possible so that they can experience 
and understand and accept God's love for them like never before. It's the same. And, and if you're not happy with that answer, you go, I don't know. I just don't know. Then here's my last assurance for you. Know this. As much as you love and care about them, as much as your heart breaks for them, God loves them a bazillion times more than you can. A batrillion times more than you can. God cares about them a quadrillion zillion more times than you care about them. This is a very complex issue, and I apologize if I've caused more questions than answers here, but what I want you to leave with is this. God loves you. And God loves you so much that he wants more for you than just a prayer. He wants your life. He wants to be in a, an encompassing relationship with you. He wants you to stay tight and close with him. Don't, don't try to experience Ireland on your own. Go with someone Go with someone who's Irish. Go with someone who knows it. Don't try to experience life and make your own salvation. Trust Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can pick you up and deliver you safely at the end. Amen? If you have more questions, I'm happy to entertain them. Write them down. I'll do my best. The questions I got, by the way, are this. Uh, says Romans tells us that we do what we don't want to versus while I believe that we can be secure in our salvation. How does Jesus' words in Matthew seem to refute that? I think we've tried to, we've tried to talk about that. How do, how do Christians know they're born again? I, I hope we've, we've talked about that in a way that, that has added a little bit of clarity to it. Here's a question. How can, can you be saved in other religions besides Christianity? Let me just tell you something right now. Christianity doesn't save you. Catholicism doesn't save you. Hinduism doesn't save you. Judaism doesn't save you. Religions don't save you. Jesus saves you. I don't care what, what your politics, I don't care what your ethnicity, I don't care what religion you come out of. Only Jesus saves. Only Jesus saves. Someone wants to do a study of the book of Revelation. If anyone wants to do a study of the book of Revelation, maybe we can form a group. That was the other question there. Here's where we're ending up today. We're going to share communion. This is a table that we call the table of mercy. I love that description of it because it reminds us that, that Jesus is the only way we get invited to the table. His mercy extends to anyone that asks, can I come? Yes, yes. Come, come to the table. I want you here, he says. And as we talked about last week, it's an opportunity for us who have trusted Christ to look back and look forward and look inside and look around. So let's bow our heads. I want to coach you through this, this thought process. Father, this morning we look back at your grace to us. Even before we acknowledge you, when we were still enemies, the scripture says you loved us and you drew us to yourself with these cords of kindness. So for just a moment, we remember your gracious, graciousness to us. 
And Father, I, I tell you, this morning, more than maybe most mornings, I am looking ahead to that day when, when my confident and expectant hope is made, made sight, where my faith is made sight, where I'm face to face with you, the one who I'm learning your voice and your heart by sticking near to you, I'm going to be able to see face to face. I'm excited about that. Father, teach us to love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, even if we can't see you with our eyes. Father, we submit our, our insides to you as well. Look inside. And we pray that you would, by the Holy Spirit, point out some areas that we may be experiencing drift in our hearts. Areas where we no longer are near you, but inching further away from you. Like a game of hot and cold, we want to be hotter, 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 close to you. We don't want to drift. And then this morning, Jesus, I look around and give thanks for the people in this room who encourage me, not just by their presence, but by their words and their actions. And as I see them living out the salvation that you've, you've given them in real tangible ways and in in the life of others, as they share you, as they honor you with their lips and their hearts, where their actions align with the grace that they've received, they bring glory to you, and I give thanks to you for that. Then finally, Lord, I, I look around at the people who are not in the room, people that we love and care about who are not yet at the table, and we lift them up to you this morning and, and entrust them to your loving care. And I give thanks for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.